Welcome to Brand Story Inc. I'm your host, Jay Sharman. Every week we sit down with smart folks to talk about innovative ways they are creating content to connect with their audiences. I'd like to say every company can be a media company, and this conversation hopefully helps you understand why. Joining us today on Brand Story Inc. is Rich Routman, President and CRO of Minute Media, global technology and content company with seven owned and operated communities across a bunch of genres, including U.S. sports, esports, lifestyle, and a bunch more. Rich, welcome to the show. Jay, thanks for having me. Great to be here and to connect with you as always, bud. Awesome, man. Well, let's jump in. Start with some more context about Minute Media some of the various publishers that you own, uh, and the headlines on your tech platform before we dive into more on the content studio. Yeah, so, uh, you know, as, as we've talked about a, a number of times, I mean, Minute Media, we sit at the intersection of uh, technology and, and content, although I'm sure a lot of people can say that. Uh, we operate direct-to-consumer brands and also B2B platform business. On the direct-to-consumer brand side of the business, we have a global soccer brand in 90 min across 13 different language editions we acquired the players tribune late last year which is obviously uh, an athlete first business uh fan sided from meredith towards the tail end of last year as well uh, we also started a number of our own brands in esports and, and other verticals and a few years ago we also acquired a non-sports brand in mental plus so um the collective group has you know hundreds of millions of users on a monthly basis but in addition to that we've uh, we really try to think about the publishing business through a technology first lens. So every single thing that we rely on across the business is our own tech stack, you know, from the, the CMS to everything we do around video to curation tools to media measurement, everything is a proprietary tool that we built in house. And we found those tools to be tools to be really effective. So we opened up those tools to partnerships and whether that's our video technology, our VMS, our curation tools, or otherwise we now operate an open platform business where publishers domestically and otherwise can utilize our tools as a ways to power their growth. So the B2B side of the business is obviously kicking into full gear. It's a, it's a huge element of the business driving nine figures in annual revenue. Um, and the direct to consumer side of the business is, is all about creating the best possible content and serving our users in the best possible way. Um, and hoping that if we do that the right way, the brands want to come along for the ride. So, uh, I guess that's everything in its totality, but nice. Well, you know, started I mean, about nine years ago and we're still here today. Yeah, you're still standing and you haven't aged much, which is amazing when, when you see you in person based on how many, uh, bullet points you're getting in the, in the sports media headlines over the last couple of years, including us, uh, in full disclosure, Teamworks Media owns LaVita Baseball and LaVita is a happy new client of Minute Media and enjoying the tech stack that you described and syndicating our Latino baseball content out among um, all of your different sites. It's pretty cool technology. I mean, in layman's terms, the, the best way I would describe it to someone who's not on the tech side is, you know, we're, we're using your technology in, in the same way that one would use a WordPress on a, you know, for, for a website, but with a super, super deluxe engine that enables our content to go out and get pulled into your ecosystem um, with some really cool artificial intelligence and, and, and scanning of, of the different types of content to pull our content in all of the relevant sites where you are, which is, it's got to be 
four digits how many sites that you have real estate on at this point, right? I mean, you guys are out. Yeah, well, that's great. Jay, I think we're going to bring you on board to explain this business to other people. Yeah, uh, that, well, was, that was better than I did. Um, <laughs> I but, uh, no, that. thank you. And uh, our partnership with you guys uh, so far has been really great. And obviously, if if we're helping you guys grow and benefiting both companies in some way during the uh, during the process, then I think that it's the right kind of partnership for us. So that's what we're looking for. So thank you guys for that. Well, you, you use thank you. You, you use the term at the intersection of sports and technology. And I, I want to go there because I think why I'm so excited about this conversation is that, you know, let's face it, everybody is under fire right now, right? With the economy and layoffs and COVID and all the different things that are going on. And, you know, I think you have this unique perspective because you, you've built up um, a several hundred person. You've got your technology company that, ha- that, that also does content. And so you're playing in multiple spaces. So you have a unique perspective in that regard. So let's start with the Players' Tribune. Uh, you made a lot of headlines. Players' Tribune known for being owned by Derek Jeter. Um, you guys acquired it recently. I'd love to hear how that integration's gone and what types of resources you gained and how it's kind of meshed with the rest of Minute Media since it was such a big news in the in our trade. Yeah, I think that, you know, first and foremost, you know, Players Tribune is a, a category leader, right? Ever since they got into this space with athlete-driven content, there's been a lot of guys that have entered the space and, you know, some have done it really well and some others are, you know, um, in the middle ground. You know, with Players Tribune, we found a brand that really stood for something. And it's hard to find and to build sports media brands in the U.S. specifically that can stand on their own two feet. So the content operation, fantastic. You know, the people within the business, great. The technology was an area that we thought we could really improve. And because it's hard to be a technology business and a publishing business at the same time unless you make real investments into it. So we also thought that what players should be stood for, it also could stood, stand for on a global basis. So being able to bring the players tribune and focus on the top athletes in all markets around the world was, you know, anytime we look at a business that has global potential and we think the players tribune has that potential, we get really excited. Mm-hmm. So I guess 2021, uh, we're excited about taking the players tribune into many other markets and languages, but at the same time, really, Getting, you know, I, I think that what Players Tribune does, we don't necessarily break news, right? But we right. definitely make news all the time. And the company has a significant market position. And I think people, when you read a piece of content or you consume a piece of video on the Players Tribune, you remember it. It's not a passing headline about what player scored 30 points last night. It's something right. from one of your heroes. So the more often we can create those memorable experiences for our users, and again, not not oversaturate the market with that kind of content. I think the the bigger the player should be, it's going to become over time. And with the existing distribution that we had in place, we know we can bolster the business from day one. Um, so we were excited about it. Derek joined our board. He's been a great addition to the advice we get on a daily basis. And I, I would say outside of integrating two companies, which is not trivial, especially when you know, Players Tribune came along with a, a fair amount of people that we needed to acclimate to our culture mm-hmm. and us acclimate to them. Um, I would say it's been it's never easy, but I think that, you know, both sides have done their best to make it feel like one organization. And I think that's how you have to structure these things going forward. I can say the same for fan side and I can say the same mm-hmm. thing for mental floss. It's not easy. Right. But if everybody kind of approaches things with their eyes wide open, um, then I think you can probably get further faster. So you 
the other intersection you're at, and it, it really relates around, um, I, w- I would add another intersection, which is brands, right? I mean, part of your making money is you have your own content studio. And, and my term, not yours, I would say Minute Media's content studio is, is kind of a hybrid because it services both publishing entities that you own, right? Many of the ones that you listed, whether it's 12 up or even ones you've acquired, like Players Tribune and how, how you integrate, but also... Um, the pu- publisher content studio as it relates to creating custom content for brands and advertisers for which you get paid for. So I'd love for you to describe how you even look at the content studio, and I may put that in air quotes, the type of staff yep. you have dedicated to that, the roles, and, and how it relates to specifically the brand uh, sponsorship and advertising marketplace. Yeah, so if I take our kind of, uh, you know, our our POV as it pertains to advertising, I would break it down into three buckets, right? We obviously do a ton around the content studio, as you mentioned, branded content with different brands around the world, depending on the the audience that they're looking to attach themselves to or looking to gravitate towards. We obviously sell a lot of video advertising. I mean, the business is pretty pervasive in video, doing in excess of a billion pre-rolls every single month and significantly more in viewership. And then, you know, um, programmatic right? and i think mm-hmm. you have to be sophisticated there now and we really invested a lot of time energy and people um to making programmatic work for us in the right way uh because you can't have direct sales people in every single market around the world it's, right. it's impossible um so on the content studio i think clearly there's brands that want to leverage athletes at the center of their messaging as a way to create impactful stories right we just have to make sure that the story that they're looking to tell and the athlete that is going to tell that story on their behalf is able to do so in the voice that we're looking for. Because I think uh, we have to take an individual brand concept unless we've created the idea on our own and not only sell it through to our the athlete that they want to potentially involve or bring to the table, but we also have to make the editorial team feel comfortable that this is something that still makes sense for the brand. Um, so we have we have to still be careful with that balance and the brand owner ultimately should receive sign off on that, whether it's the players tribune and a branded deal with American family insurance or mm-hmm. our esports business with Mountain Dew or mental floss with discover card, everything has to make sense. Right. So I think we really do, in my opinion, a good job of policing that, but then it has to go beyond just a single post. And, you know, there's a, there's a central content production team that services multiple aspects of the business but each group has its own creative services, right? Mm-hmm. So you can't expect somebody that works on mental floss to be able to bring great NBA first content ideas to the table for American Express, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you want to have some economies of scale on the production services side. So we just have to maintain individuality, but also leverage, I would say, the ability for everybody to work together around the execution. Uh, if we could do those two things really well, I mean, the biggest part of the players business is obviously the content studio. They work with virtually every, you know, sports marketing and top 100 sports brand out there in some way, shape or form or have over the years. Um, and it's a way of also transitioning some of those relationships to other aspects of our business that we think we can help them with. Um, so it's it's been nice for us. It's an area that we have a lot of staff. But it's also an area where we think we have a lot of differentiated staff that bring cool ideas to the table that are executable. Now, this this whole podcast is pretty inside baseball around the content studio, so it allows me to go to this next level here. Did you? What was that decision like to keep the Players Tribune content studio intact? And then, to your point, 
Did you find some efficiencies on things like editing, where you may not need to have creative expertise on the subject matter, but you know, a really good editor can edit across the board on different things. How, how did you approach that from um, Players Tribune, knowing that they had such a powerful relationship with the brand marketplace with their content studio? Yeah, I think you know initially you, you we could have made that I would say mistake where you come in and you look for efficiencies right away and you start to not operate the brand independently because the brand has flourished and the brand has been able to develop these relationships with brands and otherwise because of that individuality and because of the approach. So yes, we look for areas of synergy. Those are around technology. Those are around distribution. Those are around operations, maybe even legal administration, but you really have to let the guys and, and gals that do this best really just, you know, give them the infrastructure and the support they need to do it better. Um, so for us, it's, yes, we will always have dedicated creative services and content production for Players Tribune. That's because Players Tribune does tons of different OTT deals, has a an upcoming 10 episode series on a platform. They're doing much more than branded deals. Yeah. But at the same time, you don't want to have duplicative infrastructure across every aspect of your business. So we're hoping that some of the great skills that we've acqu- uh, acquired with the players should be an acquisition can also translate to other parts of minute media. Um, because I would argue that some of the content that they've done is at the highest quality of our industry from a digital publishing perspective. And perhaps it's an area where we could also see some goodness across yeah. some of our other brands. Yeah. So I think for us, it's more about dovetailing on them with that regard more so than us, uh, than the vice versa. Well, it's a, it's an interesting, uh, you and I have talked about this. I think minute media it, it publishers, the Players Tribune had so much air cover, um, in in part to Derek Jeter, right? It was hard yep. to find it was hard to find an article mentioning the Players Tribune without his name attached, right? And and in a New York centric media world, having Jeter attached is a very good thing. And the thing I've always looked at from Minute Meter from the outside, you touched on your three buckets, which make you no one's bulletproof in terms of what's going on, um, you know, weathering the storms of the economy and everything else that's going on in our country right now, obviously with COVID-19, which we'll get to in a second, but you have revenue sharing through pre-rolls. You have direct-to-brand through custom content studios. You have programmatic, which is at the heart of your technology, right, which requires, and you have scale. Right? And so uh, there's, there's a little bit of jealousy for me because you can. it's kind of like, okay, if you're talking to the agencies, you want to play the scale game? Okay, great. Here's our comp score. We have We have aggregate reach that can go up against anybody, right? You want to do something custom? Look at this. We can go that way. So there's an interesting um, ebb and flow of the different buckets that you have that enable you to play in the different places where a lot of publishing content studios or publishers in general don't have that. How are you seeing – how has your view changed in terms of the business, whether it's content studio or the three buckets during COVID-19? Well, you know, first and foremost, there's simply less deals to be had, right? I mean, uh, you know, you have some people standing on the sidelines. I mean, 2020 is not going to be a banner year for anyone in the media business. No. I can assure you of that, right? I saw, so ad, I think Mark, I saw ad uh, Variety said the entire ad market was down 31% in April and May. Yeah, so I think you're probably unlikely to work with a brand for the first time during a situation like this. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to find brands that have already have – proven work with you in the past that perhaps you can go deeper with deeper around purpose marketing deeper around 
maybe, you know, what's going on in the world as a whole, maybe with COVID and others, but you also need to be a good partner. So I think that for us, you know, to answer your questions, you know, directly, I think that if we didn't have all three of those working at the same time, I'm not so sure that we would be a scalable digital publishing business Mm -hmm. Um, because if you were exclusively reliant on advertising or even in 2018 and prior, if you were reliant exclusively on social for audience development, these are all areas that put your business exposure at a, at a really high premium. Now, again, when we were uh, going out to the market and raising money for a sports technology driven (laughs) global business around the world, we certainly didn't expect that there would come a point where there'd be no live sports. So (laughs) we're, we're not, we're not sitting here saying this is going to be the best year right. of all time, sure. but we're still going to grow this year. And I think that there's a, I, I'm really proud of that. It's clearly not the growth that we were hoping for because there's some macro um, economic conditions that, you know, obviously will impact that. But the fact that as a business, we're going to be able to continue to grow the top line. We're going to continue to be able to grow the margins of the business. We're going to right size different aspects of the business as a result of what's going on in the world today um, for me, it's it's still something that I, I believe we have to do those three things really well. And it's not about adding a fourth or a fifth or a sixth. I think that's where businesses get upside down. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, my view about the startup landscape as a whole, since this is startup now number, uh, I think, four or five for me, is it's not about doing 10 things great. It's actually about the things you choose not to do. Yeah. Uh, in digital media, because there's so many opportunities for you across so many different avenues that if you focus on all of them simultaneously, you're definitely destined for failure. Yeah. And- so for us, it's if we can do technology great, if we can create great content, and if we can go deep with partners like yourself or with with brands, I think if we can do those three things really well, I think that we can build a big enough business that it'll matter in the end. So yeah. uh, for us, it truly is a less is more strategy. Well, that's first of all. Uh, I think you're the first person I've talked to in the last 90 to 120 days who's actually saying they're growing this year. So kudos to you. But I'm curious, where's the growth coming from? How are you managing to grow this business top line and uh, in the in a landscape where there's no sports when the most of your published owned entities are sport and lifestyle related? Yeah, the publishing part of the business, as you can imagine, is probably – I would say across all the brands, obviously no soccer and otherwise mm-hmm. probably flat, but the technology side of our business is experiencing huge growth this year because our technology that we provide to other publishers is free. Yep. And there's not a single other publisher out there that doesn't want free stuff right now, especially if they're looking to shed costs in certain areas yep. of their business. So for us, it's, we've seen huge growth on the publishing and technology side of our business, which Obviously, we hope that that growth could impact every part of our business this year. But, you know, as you and I both know, there's there's bigger challenges right. in our industry today. But on the publishing side, where we provide free video technology or free yeah. content technology or free distribution technology as a way to share in the growth of another business. You know, for right now, there's not an easier pitch to make to publishers right. with everything that's going on out there. We can help fuel your growth and we won't take a dollar. Yeah unless we're actually showing you that it works. I think that uh, it sounds a little bit too good to be true, but when you really dive into the details and you can point to the numbers and I think it makes sense. So that's the area of our business that is growing the fastest. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I we went for it and it's working, right? And that is the, it makes sense. You give away the 
you've invested it's sunk a investment truckload. for us we, yeah. we've invested a lot in technology and businesses right. raised 150 million dollars yep. you know obviously we put that towards m a we put it towards growth but we put it towards technology right. and you know 30 percent of our employee base in this business in a publishing business are people in r d yeah. i mean you don't see that across the traditional landscape so when we've made that sunk investment, it's really important for us to share that investment with other people. And yeah. I think that if we do it the right way, there there has to be some upside that could come as a result of it. It's really smart. I mean, it's it's how you've kind of hedged the different areas of your business. It's it's super smart. So so it's the same thing movie studios do with content, yeah, right? You exactly. know, once they've made a hundred million dollar investment into a film, you better look at a lot of ways of exploiting it. We look at technology <laughs> the same way. Well said. All right, so let's let's go back. I want to dive in further. So publisher content studios, right? On the surface, advantage tends to be about the ability to integrate a brand's message with the content in your community, right? You have these communities that are brand-centric, passionate, pulls people together. It's it's on the surface easier to maximize effectiveness for a brand that you allow to get in there. Um, yet conversely, there always seems to be kind of this scale versus quality game that goes on, right? Publishers you know, tend to afford deeper community relationships as opposed to like just mass scale, and which is perceived cost effectiveness from the buyer. Um, you have this dance we just talked about from Minute Media. What's your view on the marketplace as it relates to how they're looking at things? Those that actually are doing deals, are they looking for one side of that ledger, deeper, more meaningful relationships that, that come with maybe a little bit more premium? Or are they looking for absolute cost effectiveness around scale or combo both it really, it really depends on the category of advertiser you're talking to but i would say generally speaking you know 10 years ago comscore position would be your first slide in the deck mm-hmm. you know and yep. you you would be assuring a brand that if they work with us we're going to be able to get that message in front of this many people so you're not wasting your money and pulling it from television not getting the same grps or whatever it may be i think that you know, brands now make the assumption that if we're in the room with them, we're not reaching 200,000 people, right. right? We actually can get this message to the right, to the right areas. Mm-hmm. And we also expect, you know, the brands themselves to rally behind the content too. I mean, mm-hmm. If they're going to invest the kind of money that we're asking them to invest into the creation of this, it's something that they should want to stand behind as well. So we always provide the brands the ability to use that content across their platforms as well. Um, but that being said, the word scale, you know, I would say, 10 years ago was way more important than it is today because you can go buy scale right you know you can buy scale on social you can buy scale on Insta- on instagram you can you can buy scale it's owned scale that matters right so i think when you have direct to consumer brands that have captive audiences and you don't have to go outside of that to go rent scale Mm-hmm. then I think it's important because now we can prove that it's it's not an arbitrage distribution game during what you saw during the days of social. It's real distribution, right? right? And, you know, in television, that's why it's been so significant over the years is because when I buy Channel 22, I can turn into Channel 22 that has this number of people watching and see my commercial or see yeah. my segment. And digital feels very artificial sometimes. And as a result, you know, you have to really pontificate the scale over and over and over mm-hmm. again because they want to understand where I'm going to find it, where people are going to interact with it, and how am I going to show up in that context. So I think that uh, I would say as the market has become a little bit more pervasive there, we've had to do a lot less defending um, and really just gotten back to does this idea hold water? Because if it does, 
then we'll show you what the distribution plan looks like. But it really has to come. It, it starts and stops with a great idea. I still believe fundamentally, if you have great ideas, you can do great content with brands because you wouldn't be in the room if you couldn't guarantee that the right audience would see this. Mm -hmm. Well said, well said. All right, so this is probably the most challenging question I'm going to give you today. Significant brands are currently boycotting Facebook. Um, this is airing in this podcast is airing in, in early July. Uh, Reddit just announced, you know, they're shutting down some things due to some hate speech. Others like Coke are pausing on all social media. As president and CRO, right? How would you describe where the hell we are in branded content right now in July of 2020? Well, I, I would say we're in a different place than we even were two months ago. I mean, two months ago, we were trying to figure out ways to, instead of doing on-site production with a series called House Guests with Nate Robinson, mm -hmm. we go to houses of great celebrities. We're trying to, we initially were trying to figure out how to do all that through Zoom, through mm -hmm. Hangouts, through other forms of technology. Uh, and we finally got to a place where brands were embracing it, whether that's, you know, Kingsford Charcoal or Scott's Lawn Care. We started to do a ton, AT&T even, around what you would kind of call remote production, mm -hmm. right? Or, you know, Zoom production, however people <laughs> want to refer to it as. Then, you know, I think with everything that's happening in the world and, you know, shortly after COVID and, you know, racial inequality and, and so on, I think more than anything, what we're finding is that brands want to align with publishers or direct-to-consumer channels that stand for something. Mm -hmm. You know, not necessarily have great content that truly stand for something. And I actually think that, you know, when you really kind of laser focus in at the Players Tribune and you look at, we're not coming into racial inequality today. That's right. what Players right. Tribune was built on. Right. I mean, uh, when you start thinking about our coverage of women's sports going back years ago, even with the World Cup and Mega Rapino, and when you yeah. start thinking about how we've handled racial injustice over the years, when you start thinking about, you know, depression and how we've done things with Kevin, but we have been in the purpose aim for a reason for a really long time. Mm -hmm. So I think that for us, you know, we want to partner with brands actually that believe in that purpose. We've actually had a few scenarios where we've taken a walk from deals because much like brands are taking a walk from Facebook, we've taken a walk from deals because maybe there's something about that brand right. that actually doesn't fit well with our whole sentiment around racial inequality. So I think that for us, you know, especially right now, it's not necessarily about finding the right deal. It's about finding the right brand that aligns with your ideals. And if you can make those two things work together, I think now is the time to lean in on those kind of branded experiences. But I also think you have to be understanding to what's going on right now. If you're doing a great program trying to push a really interesting new product to your audience during this time of crazy mm -hmm. social and macroeconomic mm -hmm. impact, you're also making a bad decision. Yeah. And that's not how we want to leverage our audience today. So I think the brands that want to lean in and want to lean in with the right messaging know where we are and know what we do. Um, and I think that, you know, someone asked me the other day, like, hey, Rich, are brands really like sticking it to you and trying to get a huge discount because mm -hmm. they know that they can right now? And I was like, I don't know, man, I've been doing this for 20 years. And whoever does that to me today, I'm going to be sitting across the table from that same guy yeah. in the same job or a different job in a year from now. And I got a pretty good memory. Yeah. So <laughs> my, my assumption is. A, my answer is probably going to be no. And B, when he, that person may need me in a year from now, it's going to be no again. Yeah. So 
I think that we all have to be understanding to what's going on, but at the same time, you know, treat each other the right way. Well, so we're, we're really trying to go about doing that to the extent that we can. It's so funny. Um, you know me well enough as an entrepreneur running a company for 20 years. We've had quite, quite a, you know, in the media industry, quite a few pivots and turns or whatever buzzwords you want to use along the way. And even two in the last five years. I yeah. Mean, everything <laughs> continues to change every day. Exactly. 10 years ago, quick sidebar. Um, you know, I was so, so hell bent on purpose driven marketing because all the stuff that all the content that Teamworks has done has been, I would consider it brand safe or kind of an under the inspiration brand. And we, we put, you know, in like 2010, where we, we positioned ourselves as a purpose marketer. And after about the 40th phone call I got, um, thinking that we were a religious institution, I was like, I don't think the purpose marketing movement is quite here yet, you know? And so yep. now, you look at it now and it's, it, you know, kudos to you for walking from a brand that that wasn't a fit because I can tell you as someone, you know, you have shareholders, I have shareholders. It's uh, that's not an easy thing to do. And that's that's gut check time. Easy, easy it to is. say and in it social is, media. It's not, but... it's, and it's not good for them either. No. I will say that if we if we do a deal with the wrong brand at this time in particular, it's not good for our shareholders. Yeah. You know, uh, it has a lasting impact. And you can't get away from the comments on social. You can try to bury them just like you can bury ratings in the app store, but it leaves a stain and the, anything on the internet is permanent. That's the way we look at it. So I think that the decisions that we make today during this particular situation are going to last for a long time after this situation. So I think that, uh, and I'm also a big believer that your business is not defined by any one quarter. Right. Yeah. So yes, Q2, it was challenging. I am happy that it is effectively over. Right. 2020 is going to be a really challenging year. I'll be thrilled when January 1, 2021 comes around. But, you know, we're not going to let all of that's going around us kind of bring us down or do the wrong deals because then we put the whole business at risk. So I think that for us, it's it's trying to stay disciplined. It's staying true to the beliefs that you have and the reason why you got into business with people like the Players Tribune and in general beforehand and if you could, if you can develop a solid foundation with your investor base and get them to understand that too, mm-hmm. I, I think you're on solid footing. If if you are saying no all the time and it starts to really impact the business in the long term, yeah, I think that's when you run into more challenging board meetings. Yep. So so, going to pivot here to a different angle. This I've had several guests on Rich that run brand content studios. Right on the other side of the equation, you've got the publisher content studio and you've got the brand content studio. Right, and so. In theory, these could potentially be either competitors or collaborators, depending on who you're working with and, and, and how they look at the, at the big picture. Um, where do you see the publisher content studio and the brand content studio um, in the big picture right now? Are they heading down a competitive track? Are they collaborators? Do you have examples from Minute Media's perspective on, of how you've worked with some or what you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, I think that every, I would say every, big brand now has a content team. I mean, I think that, uh, and, and in some cases now they have media in house, right? Yep. So, um, I would say that we as publishers need to find the right way to collaborate with those teams, uh, not tell them that we do things better. Uh, cause in, in most cases we may not, we may think we do, right. but I'm sure that if they make the right investments, they can do them as well. Mm-hmm. Just like agencies are telling, you know, the brands themselves that we can do the best deals with your money better than you can. Yep. Right. So, um, yes, it, it, it could cause a strain on publishers when it comes to content development in the future. But I would say for right now, whether it's, you know, the work we do 
with Under Armour and the most recent piece we did with Tom Brady in collaboration with them around, you know, his new home in Tampa Bay or mm-hmm. work do we do with Adidas globally with their content studio and Damian Lillard and other athletes. I think that there has to be a common ground, right? When you really get the right people in the room and you and I have been doing this long enough that you find the common ground. It's not about us producing or you producing. It's how do we land the plane? Mm-hmm. Right? I think everybody, you know, these days, at least uh, in my view, brands create beautiful aspirational content in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. They sometimes struggle landing the plane. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that if the onus is on us to land the plane, right? you know, they may want to help us fly it. They may want to <laughs> bring these massive budgets to it, have beautiful ideas. But at the end of the day, they need to land the plane. Mm-hmm. Right? And uh, I think that you know, for us, if we can land the plane, land the story with the right audience, maybe play a role in the content creation or even in the ideation to make sure that it's landing on the right runway. You know, I think that that's, you know, we're, we're happy to lead, but we're also happy to follow. Neat. Okay. Personal turn here. Morning must share some of your coffee. morning rituals. Lots of it. Lots of coffee. <laughs> you know, uh, how the hell are you staying I'm on a, top of everything in terms I'm, of industry I'm an early riser. You know, I do my best work, uh, actually, between the hours of 6 and 10 a.m. I mean, for me, me I, too. you know, I, I really believe in, in, in getting an early start. It actually helps me with, uh, you know, every, every aspect of the business because I deal a lot of people in Israel. I deal with people in other markets, in Europe and others. But I think that for me, that early start just in general of, you know, getting myself situated and it's more difficult. I would say it's easier now with COVID. I just right. go to the next room. Yeah. You know, I don't have Agreed. to get on a 30 minute train ride into the city <laughs> from the suburbs. But I think that early start for me is is just super crucial because by the time I get to lunchtime, I've accomplished already a ton. Right? Yeah. And I think that, you know, having been doing this for a long time, you can often have days where at five o'clock you're like, man, I have been on calls today and I haven't done anything yet. Yeah. And I, I think that when, as we're growing as a business, I can't afford to have any of those days. I can't afford to have a day where it's 14 calls and I get nothing done mm-hmm. because that can have an impact on the broader business. So I really need to take that, that extra few hours in the morning to make sure that I'm paying attention to the, the crucial activities that the business has on a day-to-day basis. Um, and I'm big, I would say, on the, on the tail end of that. I, I don't like leaving loops open. So the back half of the day, in my opinion, is spent closing those open loops from the earlier part of the day or from the earlier part of the day from the days prior. Uh, Because the more things that we have open and the more things that lack clear ownership to them, um, the more we're just standing still. So I think that for me, maybe the morning hours are spent kind of opening things up and looking into them. And the back half of the day is spent, whether we make a good decision or a bad decision, we're not going to make indecision. And we're going to move forward. And I think that that's, uh, that's how we tend to kind of operate this. And we make some mistakes as a result of that because you don't get the chance to lament things for days on end. Yeah. But we move forward. And I think that's the most important part. Well, good. Final question for you, Rich. Uh, nightstand notice. What books are in your just read or dying to read pile? Oh, man. Well, uh, we have a book of the month club uh, in our business. Some of them are, you know, related to – uh, professional, mm-hmm. you know, startup nation, uh, you know, the one thing there's, there's all sorts of, Oh yeah. I've, you love the list- one thing. I love the one thing. I, I love listening to podcasts. I actually get a lot out of just scrolling LinkedIn and seeing what other people are paying attention to and what they're focused on. Yeah. Um, 
But um, yeah, I think I mentioned a few of them that I'm playing, paying close attention to. But man, my nightstand is my chance to relax a little bit, buddy. I got three kids. We got a, a business that has all sorts of things happening every single day. So when I actually get my chance on the nightstand, it may be more like Amazon Prime and Netflix for me these days. What's on there? What do you got? Book. Uh, you know, uh, I'm looking forward to Hannah coming out on Amazon Prime in the next okay. couple of days. I like season one. Uh, I actually started to, which is crazy, watch Breaking Bad for the first time wow. uh, just recently. So I'm just getting caught up there. But you know, anything. Really. Have you caught I the mean, bug uh, on Breaking Bad? Have you caught the drug I've yet? I caught the bug. You know, it takes a few my, episodes, my, right? It, it takes, takes a few episodes. Yeah. I, I told my friend the other day that I think I've reached the end of the internet. <laughs> um, but clearly, there's a lot more out there for me. So uh, I think when, when I get a chance with my head on the pillow, it's right now I probably should be doing more reading, but I'm probably doing uh, my fair share of relaxing and just trying to dig in with the kids. My uh, my binge right now is Ozark because I don't think uh, I'm that. already all caught up, so I won't tell you. All right, I I'm on it. season three, but it's just right now I'm taking such it's such escapism because I'm like, well, it could be. I kind of look like Jason Bateman too, but I, well, I, I'm, I'm in the Outer Banks right now with the family, <laughs> and I just finished watching the Outer Banks. The two of those two those things have no correlation to each other, but. Um, you know, definitely something that I uh, I consumed Good. very quickly over a very short period of time. Well, now you guys out there listening know why I was excited to get Rich on the show. Obviously, one of the smarter guys in our industry. Uh, appreciate you being so candid and sharing with us. And, and thanks for taking time from the Outer Banks to check in with us, Rich. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Jay. Best of luck with uh, not only this podcast, but with your business in its entirety. Easy guy to root for. And um, thank you again for having me. We'll talk to you soon, bud. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Brand Story, Inc. We'll be back next week with another conversation digging into the ways companies are becoming like media companies. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give me a follow on Twitter at underscore Jay Sharman and on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.